I don't know how many of you are as captivated as I am by the last few years' influx of these religious cult docu-series um, and documentaries, but the newest in that genre is the Amazon docu-series Shiny Happy People, which regrettably has nothing to do with R.E.M., but covers the IBLP, which is an influential but little-known fundamentalist group that is behind the Duggar family and a couple politicians, which is alarming just to start. There are plenty of minefields at the intersection of parents' rights and religious freedom. Those of you who are familiar with other rants of mine, specifically about judicial bypass work, which is the work I do with minors seeking abortions, won't be surprised to hear how many of my own teen clients are imperiled by this very combo. Um, but, you know, while parents' rights are no more present in the Constitution than the right to privacy, choice, or any of the other rights that are spurned by so-called originalists, it is often the very same jurists using the poor Constitution as a false flag to shield parental abuses in insular religious communities like the IVLP. So, continuing in the realm where parents' rights run afoul of young people's interests, exploring the IVLP's fundamentalist homeschooling laws, it feels like a natural progression. I didn't know too many specifics about homeschooling laws going into the documentary, um, maybe in part because there's an alarming lack of laws and existing standards over homeschooling. And then you put that lack of oversight in the context of a fundamentalist cult with all the abuses, ideologies, indoctrination that come with that landscape, put that in a country with a million educational fires burning at the moment, and baby, you got yourself a crisis. Before zooming out to the law and policy nonsense, I want to recap the sicko case in question, which is the Duggars. So, Shiny Happy People examines the Duggars themselves and their church-slash-cult of choice, the Institute in Basic Life Principles, which is the IBLP. Now, the IBLP, like many institutions of its ilk, fosters abuse of women and children, and among its basic life principles espouses a whole lot of bigoted, homophobic, anti-science, etc. viewpoints. With views like that, it's not really a surprise that the IBLP clashes with legality pretty frequently through all sorts of heinous transgressions. Um, and while those are not the focus of my homeschool-centric examination, I didn't want to entirely gloss over them. So, for instance, my first real look into the Duggars was for a live stream covering Josh Duggar's federal child pornography charges. So the substance of those charges and that crime, body of crimes that he committed, was discovered during a separate investigation of him and unrelated sexual abuse and assault charges made against him by his own younger sisters, so the Duggar daughters. The Duggar family was aware of this for many, many years, and of course opted to protect their oldest son, Josh, over their daughters, and they ended up shielding him from, you know, reporting when it was up to them, any consequences, any real rehabilitation, until the statute of limitations had time-barred those charges from ever being brought, so the ones against his sisters. But Josh Duggar was eventually convicted for his proclivities for violent child pornography, earning himself a 14-year federal prison sentence, so that's good 
relatively speaking. All of this was while his father, so Duggar Patriarch, Jim Bob Duggar, and honestly, like, that name in and of itself should be a felony, he had the gall to continue his bid for Arkansas State Senate while all this was going on. And he won that seat at least once. I don't think it was during this race. I mean, even before that, like, glaring iceberg tip came into view, and I'm sorry because the Titanic is still in my brain because of that little submersible rest in peace. But even before that, the Duggars always kind of seemed like a sinister influence to me. First, I was always already bitter that any show like theirs, which is 70 Kids and Counting or whatever, would air on the Learning Channel, TLC. But even though I was leery about highlighting extremist groups um, in a way that looked really wholesome like their show did, I never at all anticipated how that genre of TV shows would usher them into the mainstream. I think that what started for viewers as, like, rapt revulsion, kind of like watching a car crash or a weird zoo animal, ended up becoming like a pipeline to insidious familiarity because it's seeping into your everyday life, and then eventually even normalization of those mindsets and the groups that preach them. So ultimately, like, while realizing that I should probably chill about prejudging things, I do at least feel a little validated for my disproportionate early hatred of 19 kids and counting. But let's talk about the IBLP and the quiverful movement. So the IBLP is an ultra-conservative Christian organization. It exhibits, though, surprisingly unchristlike bigotry, fear-mongering, and prosperity gospel greed. It's funny how that tends to work really frequently. Um, the Duggars and TLC brought the IBLP into the mainstream through their show, but they certainly did not originate it. Um, that dubious distinction belongs to Bill Gothard. That son of a gun is still alive. He's kicking at 88. Um, he is no longer officially head of his organization, though, because of 30-plus sexual misconduct allegations over the years. Who's counting now, baby? Um, for better or worse, the IBLP is one of those groups that says the proverbial quiet part out loud. They demand adherence to this umbrella of authority that places women definitionally under men, which is to obviously protect them from the devil. Women should not seek higher education, nor should they wear any revealing clothing, which has a very uh, conservative definition, and you're not supposed to do that because you don't want to trap the weak, but also apparently superior sensibilities of men. So, uh, daughters are the chattel of their fathers, and that means no dating, and it requires, like, overt paternal consent for any transfer of property through marriage. Birth control, of course, strictly off-limits, um, as exemplified by the Duggars' running child count, the IBLP instructs members to keep creating children until God, which really just means biological impossibility, stops you. So this brings us to the Quiverful movement. Um, this is a tenet that many fundamentalist Christian groups share, and they're all united under this Quiverful movement. That name is borrowed from a Bible verse, which is, Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. So, 
sons are like weapons, and hopefully the children you're cranking out are all sons. Real original take. I mean, it's always hard for me not to see this through the reproductive choice lens. It's hard not to personalize it. That's obviously always why political disagreements, quote-unquote, aren't so easy for some of us to compartmentalize when one side is using politics to subjugate everybody sharing your immutable trait and all those being subjugated for an immutable trait, their politics are like, please stop. <laughs> um, you know, things like choice and the intentional present parenthood that every child deserves really become foreign concepts in a world that's governed by this type of rules. I think of my own grandma, who is the product of Catholic religious strictures and an earlier era, really just like losing her identity somewhere among her seven children in seven years, and then parentifying the older ones just to like keep the younger ones from wandering into traffic. And I do not say this at all as an indictment of any of the people involved. I adore my overpopulated Irish Catholic family. And my mom was the youngest of those seven kids, so very easy to find a silver lining. But these religious institutions have wrought so, so much damage for so many years. Practically, too, the resources required to maintain a quiver full of children, really hard to imagine without the resources of, like, having a TLC reality show. Um, indeed, before fame, Duggar Daddy, Jim Bob, worked two or three jobs at, like, a convenience store and a towing company, and he got free labor in doing that, like, assistance from his coterie of kids. Um, that child labor exploitation also, like, allegedly continued through adulthood, through the kids' and family's TV career, because in the docuseries it talks about how Jim Bob was still taking and quote-unquote managing the paychecks paid to his adult daughters, so cool cool uh, element to add to the sexism and exploitation. In addition to the financial resources, at a certain point even TV funding can't really compensate for the deficits of time, attention, and you just like the physical toll that it takes on a mother. A lot of these burdens land on the children and the mother's shoulders by very dictate of the religion. The whole scheme just like echoes critiques of late-stage capitalism, that it's, you know, a system designed to keep those who maintain it so exhausted that they can't even effectively advocate for themselves, and then the cycle continues. Finally, I should note that, fittingly, Gothard was himself the model of hypocrisy, because while he's preaching all these exacting, lurid rules about marital sex and begetting as many children as humanly possible, etc., Gothard himself never married nor begot any known children. So, the homeschooling vessel of the IBLP, the Advanced Training Institute, or ATI, is IBLP's homeschooling affiliate, or at least it was until 2021. The website is currently ambiguous about what the status is now, but it does still offer an active podcast and conferences and wisdom booklets for sale. Um, ATI professed to be a real, like, one-stop shop for all academic subjects. In lieu of a high school curriculum with any of the standardized trappings of a high school education, ATI offered one course that covered 
all of that, allegedly, and professed to include a, an equivalent of a pre-law and of a pre-med college-level degree. So, sounds legit. Um, keep in mind that some of the pre-med teachings involved the whole, like, Eve was made from Adam's rib thing, so I don't think that's going to actually get you very far on the MCAT, but we shall see, I guess. ATI centered seven pillars in its teachings, and I think they, what they are speak volumes of the curricula in the ATI program. You have design, authority, responsibility, suffering, ownership, freedom, and success. I mean, like, who among us doesn't think back fondly to our freshman suffering class? Before 2021, ATI incorporated training centers that were physical locations to supplement the homeschooling programs that they offered. Former attendees in this docu-series recall really alarming details like solitary confinement in what were called prayer rooms as punishment for any sort of misbehavior. And I can, I mean, to give you a sense of what misbehaving was, girls using tampons was considered to be evil, so we're talking about a pretty low threshold for misbehavior and solitary confinement. One of the scariest elements for those of us beyond the immediate reach of IBLP, for whom it was very scary in a lot of ways, is the ATI homeschool to political office pipeline, which is something that the IBLP has really intentionally cultivated. It's working out pretty well. Like many of these fundamentalist Christian groups in recent decades, the IBLP's relative political influence is dizzying when you compare it to how quiet they've managed to keep their crusade over the years. Um, in addition to Jim Bob Duggar's political career, the IBLP is closely connected with former Arkansas governor and one-time GOP presidential hopeful Mike Huckabee, whose daughter was Trump's press secretary, and, fun fact, whose son killed a dog once at Boy Scout camp. Uh, <laughs> and they're also closely connected with former Alaska governor and reputed viewer of Russia from her house, Sarah Palin. I uh, reached out to a friend of mine about fundamentalist homeschooling. Her name is Brooke. Some of you might be familiar with her. Um, she was homeschooled in Wyoming due to her parents' religious beliefs, and she introduced me to what's called Generation Joshua. The Joshua generation represents children from the first big wave of Christian homeschooling in the 1980s and 90s, whose parents sought to avoid the godless, immoral curriculum that is that is and was offered by public schools, apparently. The anti-science, anti-history, anti-most literature, arguably anti-education curricula offered to the Joshua generation was designed to rear new soldiers in the fundamentalist Christian army. While a fair amount of former Joshuaites, I assume that's what they're called, <laughs> have grown up to blow whistles and form support and advocacy groups altogether rebel against the program's abuses, there are still enough soldiers to populate this growing political movement to redeem America as a Christian nation, as they put it. And this brings us to some of the law involved. Predictably, these movements rely on really sweeping interpretations of First Amendment religious freedom to permit parents to limit their children's education and really lifelong opportunities. With disturbing trends like these, 
plus the extraordinary legal leeway that is granted to homeschoolers, which is what I'm going to use to refer to homeschooling parents, I had kind of started to wonder if homeschooling itself is the problem. And I have to admit to entering this whole exploration with biases of my own about homeschooling. I have this under a footnote on my substack, but because this is just the audio portion, I'm subjecting it, subjecting you to it no matter what your choice is, but the reason for my biases. Um, so two of the best friends that I've ever had in my entire life were homeschooled, um, and that feels like pretty crazy odds that must be more than random. I technically went to public school in Arizona, um, and Arizona is always between 48th and 50th place in the U.S. for public education rankings. So in my weird little family, my savant stay-at-home dad did essentially homeschool me. It just supplemented a public school curriculum. But I think there was a lot of really nice overlap with my unconventional helicoptery family and those who chose to homeschool. Because only certain folks would commit to traveling to the beat of a different drum like that, right? But at the same time, I did see how certain elements of homeschooling, lifestyle, values, etc. impacted my friends, and that bred some strong negative opinions in me too. Stepping outside societal norms can be a really double-edged sword, especially if it's done out of potentially misguided fear. And effective homeschooling depends really heavily on a parent's capability, especially in the absence of, you know, any sort of standardized guides, a parent's capability to be an absolute renaissance person, functionally acting as an entire secondary educational institution with a nuanced, fluid perception of the society in which we exist. And statistically, that's just unlikely. So... Suffice to say, I have my own baggage and opinions on these things that do not not play into it. And in recent years, we've all watched public education funding and options rapidly atrophy, and that has kind of made my perspectives on homeschooling harden further, because homeschooling forced um, money into, like, voucher systems and was an option taken by a lot of religious parents, thus taxpayers can less justify funding public education, and it gets really demonized, etc., etc. But in researching, I learned that the origins of modern homeschooling actually lie with John Holt, who was a liberal educator, obviously diametrically opposed to those fundamentalist religious ideologies. And he pioneered the concept of child-directed unschooling in the 1960s. The fundamentalist homeschooling shift began in the 70s and 80s, when many conservative Christian families were dismayed with the (laughs) proliferation of dangerous topics like Bible-conflicting science, gender equality, the troubling history of whites and Christians, etc., that was being found in public schools more and more at that point in time. This movement was literally capitalized upon by a Seventh-day Adventist named Raymond Moore, And he preached actively that uh, non-religious in-school learning was actually developmentally harmful for young children. So I think fourth grade was his cutoff, that if you put them in school up until and through fourth grade, it would be dangerous for children. The U.S. Supreme Court's first and only guidance on homeschooling came in 1972, which is before Moore's religious campaign really gathered the momentum that it soon would. So now we get to SCOTUS at the crossroads of religion, parents, and homeschooling. 
And the question I want to keep in mind throughout this whole thing is who is really safeguarding the child's interests as distinct from the parents? In Wisconsin versus Yoder, Amish parents brought a First Amendment free exercise challenge to a state law that required all children to attend an accredited school until they were at least 16 years old. Amish families only allowed their children to be schooled through eighth grade to learn to read, the Bible, and to learn other basic skills for an agrarian life. But they subsequently pulled their children out of school after eighth grade and beyond. Um, and this, by doing this, they incurred nominal fines of $5 for each parent. This fact pattern and the fact that they are pulling their kids out of school foreshadowed the really blurry line that we now see between religious, oversight-free homeschooling and what is in practice no schooling at all. The parents' religious challenge in Yoder was purportedly on behalf of their children's interests, though the majority of the involved children did not even testify. And it was the parents' belief that their children's salvation was threatened by the worldly influence and intellectualism of a high school education. But, you know, the Amish never heard anybody except that one guy in witness, and the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the parents. That decision signaled the demise of any baseline educational standards, even at the state level, let alone any national standard. Among the whole court, Justice Douglas alone noted that the parents' imposition of their religious choices was at odds with their children's freedom, and that favoring the former could permanently hinder a child's life. Justice Douglas explained it best in his partial dissent, and this is a quote from him, the court's analysis assumes that the only interests at stake are those of the Amish parents. The difficulty with this approach is that the parents are seeking to vindicate not only their own rights, but also those of their high school-aged children. But religion and education, he continued, are individual experiences. It is the future of the student, not the future of the parents, that is imperiled by today's decision. If a parent keeps a child out of school, then the child will forever be barred from entry into the new and amazing world of diversity we have today. And that's from Wisconsin versus Yoder. Isn't that a refreshingly wholesome take from the Supreme Court? I, I gotta thank the 1970s and Justice Douglas for restoring my faith and confidence for two seconds. Um, in any case, state compulsory education laws like that one in Yoder still technically require children to be schooled, but they now specify that homeschooling is an acceptable alternative to primary and secondary schools. And therein lies the rub. Many states have no standards for differentiating compulsory education by homeschooling from no schooling at all, or at least woefully inadequate schooling. In half of the 50 states, there is no legal requirement for homeschoolers to administer educational assessments of any kind at any age or stage. Um, 11 states do not even require parents to provide notice to any government body, like a school district, health and human services, etc., if they decide to homeschool their child. So either starting homeschooling from the child's, you know, infancy and beyond, or if they pull their child out to start homeschooling. Either way, don't have to tell anyone, don't have to do anything official. So enforcing compulsory education or anti-truancy laws in those states has become virtually impossible. Beyond the immediate issues that this creates, you know, like ensuring any minimal level of education for the working voting populace, instilling the learning and life skills necessary to function, pigeonholing children's futures, deepening militant religiosity and ideological divides, so on, 
Oversight-free homeschooling also creates difficulties enforcing other child welfare laws. Child neglect and abuse are often discovered and reported through a child's school. And I struggled how to say this most diplomatically. Um, the tough reality is that sometimes the same extremist religious credos that would drive parents to homeschool are also religious credos that permit corporal punishment, abusive sexual conduct, withholding Western medical treatment, or otherwise treating children and women as property in ways that are frowned upon by our legal system. This hiding in plain sight child abuse obviously befell the Duggar daughters, at the very least, maybe more. Another recent example was the Turpin family in California, I believe, um, who kept their 13 children shackled, starving, and in filthy conditions, all under the guise of homeschooling them. As a Turpin profile in the New Republic put it, you can hide almost anything when nobody's watching. According to reports by a group called Homeschooling's Invisible Children, homeschooled children are abused and die at a significantly higher rate than other children. So that's pretty sobering. The numbers track with the fear here. Now, I want to clarify that not all homeschoolers are religious zealots that are eschewing society's values, but virtually all religious zealots eschewing society's values will likely homeschool their children. And I'm talking strictly about homeschooling's bad apples. I'm not suggesting that all homeschoolers are bad. But the current regulatory structure puts virtually no checks on the bad homeschoolers, while the good ones could easily survive and succeed with just a little more oversight. And though there are a fair amount of homeschoolers, homeschooled children, etc., who are actively fighting the deregula deregulation of homeschool, uh, most attempts to add regulations back to the industry are met with aggressive cries of government overreach and the war on parents, and the backlash is so aggressive that nobody really pushes it any further. The difficulties that this presents for our society become more pressing as homeschooling numbers continue to grow pretty exponentially. Per the U.S. Department of Education and Gallup polling, 1.8 million students were homeschooled in 2012, and then by 2016, that number had risen to 2.3 million. In August 2020, for somewhat obvious reasons, 10% of all parents in the country planned to homeschool their children in the coming year, and that doubled the previous year's percentage. Granted, I mean, obviously that's affected by COVID. The reasons for and styles of homeschooling, certainly after 2020, do vary significantly. And I honestly get it more than I thought I would. I mean, you look at the state of public schools, the teacher shortages, the post-COVID world, rises in gun violence, and homeschooling makes a lot of sense. If you're lucky enough to have the support and money to sustain that in a healthy way, and maybe some like alternative social outlets for youngins. But the key piece of this is that despite the rise in all homeschooling, religious fundamentalist homeschooling numbers are climbing at the fastest pace. A precise count is difficult because not many homeschoolers are required to register with any formal body, but researchers do now estimate that between two-thirds and three-fourths are fundamentalists. So, what's the, the bottom line? Is this good, bad, ugly? 
Ultimately, my view on homeschooling has kind of softened in that I now recognize that most of the problems are presented strictly by religious fundamentalists and other extremist groups that choose to homeschool. The challenge across the board, though, I guess, is the risk of what we're missing. The risk of, like, having no baseline education, shared factual grounding in history, science, critical thinking skills, reality. I don't mean to advocate for, like, uniformity or groupthink, but a minimum level of support and ability that every child in this society gets. For better or worse, like, this is the society that we share, and this is our country. These are the people that we spend our days with who work with us and vote for our leaders and policies. So without a baseline, we're making room for some really scary trajectories, especially when fundamentalist groups are so motivated to fill the educational gaps with ideologies that are so dangerous. And, like, don't take my word for it. You can look to the history books, if you can, and if you've ever read them. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Um, I love you. Be good, be safe, be happy. And as my aunt and Warren Zevon have said, enjoy every sandwich. (laughs) 